0: Welcome to episode 134 of the Daniel Yoris podcast with today's guest, Richard Bucciarelli. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Joined here once again, over 100 episodes later with Richard Bucciarelli. Richard, thanks for being here, man. I appreciate you.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me and congratulations on more than a hundred episodes and
0: <laughs> many more to come. Thank you. It, it's, it's crazy how, how time flies and it feels like it wasn't that long ago that we, that yeah. we spoke on the podcast, but like it's actually been. You know, more, more than two years. And it feels like even it was yesterday that, like, you know, we were seeing each other on the soccer field and, and training under you and, and whatnot. And like it, but it was, it's a while ago now. Like, I'm, yeah, that, that <laughs> was, that was
1: about 16 or 17 years ago. So,
0: yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'm not that old, but it, it yeah. makes me feel very old. I'm almost 30 now and it's, it, it's wild. But, um, congratulations to you as well. Just having moved into a new facility, that's a, that's a really big move. And I think that not a lot of people, uh, appreciate what that means. They see it and like, oh, that's cool. But it's like, oh, this is like a, a big headache, a big, investment, a big step uh, business-wise and, and in helping more people and training more athletes and more people. So congratulations to you on that as well.
1: Thank you very much.
0: How have things been for you then? What's, what's kind of new and, and exciting in, in the world of, uh, of Richard and speed training?
1: Yeah, well, f- for sure. New and exciting. I mean, the new facility is definitely top of the list. So we, we moved from a previous location, which was inside a sports facility, now to our own space. Um, which uh, was actually a former F45 so it was already a gym okay. which is kind of a you know anyway they went out of business this particular location which is not good for them but good opportunity for us and so it's a larger space than what we had so we have even more uh, equipment including some more you know unique technology from some of the like the treadmill and high intensity interval training that we do uh, we've built a larger clinic uh, with physiotherapy we've added other practitioners so uh, not just a physiotherapist and a chiropodist, but we've now added a chiropractor and a massage therapist. Um, we also have built a little mini turf field. So this was something that previously we were in facilities that had soccer fields that we could use sometimes, but not all the time. And so now, you know, we have our own little field that we can use whenever we want. Um, you know we've got bathrooms and showers and we're building you know I know we talked a little bit about this I'm building a little recovery room that's going to have some uh different types of therapy light therapy cold therapy etc to help athletes recover Uh and then of course not just athletes but we're expanding also into uh, uh providing similar type of training so the training that's effective with athletes uh, but modifying it and adapting it a little bit to the general population and maybe we can talk a little bit about about that too so that's exciting. Other than that, I mean, I, well, I, I had another, uh, a child since we last talked. I, my son was born last year and he's, he's 11 months old now. My daughter is about to turn five. And so, you know, those Amazing. are, the, those are the, the exciting things that are happening in my life. And, you know, they make a little more work for me, but,
0: <laughs> but a lot more joy as well. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Now, now you you mentioning about the expansion of the facility, not just in size, but in the things that you can offer really reminds me of, or makes me think about, I'm sure that when you set out, you would have had a vision for like what you wanted your business and your facility to look like and then when you sit down and think about it it's like okay so i want you know the the, the treadmills the high speed interval training the like the weights and that our physical training and i want the recovery room and the soccer fields and this and that and the other thing and it's like okay but that costs like way too much money to have all that i don't have like an endless pot of money when i'm starting my business on day 1 so right. we got to get down to the basics like what are we going to do what are we going to be good at what's going to be the most effective for for your clients and for your athletes and i think that that's such a such a good kind of segue or reminder for people it's like yeah, there's a lot of stuff you can do. You can train. You can have a. You can have a super good diet. You can do cross training. You can do strength training. You can do endurance training. You can have a nice bath in your house and red light and do all these things. But you don't have like a 10,000 square foot facility in the back of your house to do yeah. all of this stuff. So what are the actual most important things that you got to get done? And then you can add things as you become, you know, more proficient or or, or they become more important to you. Um, so I kind of want want you to go through and, and talk a little bit about like the bare bones basics. And, you know, we, we, we were talking about before how some people get kind of distracted, shiny on object syndrome with like, I got to do all these things, but it's like, what is the core of what you do? And then why do these other things kind of help?
1: Right. Okay. So it's a good question, and and I, you know I don't want to come off as a, as a hypocrite or you know because there may be some I don't know some irony here in me talking about bare bones while at the same time I won't get into all the details. But since I opened my first facility, which was back in 2010, you know I've I've used some very unique technology, uh, which also happens to be a little more expensive. We've got the fastest treadmills in the world. We've got treadmills that you know go at very high inclines and. One of them even uses a, an unweighting uh, system. So a harness that, you know, more or less makes athletes feel a bit lighter while they're running. And we have gate analysis software and all this stuff. And maybe we can chat more about the technology. But, um, what I would say is, uh, you know, ultimately the decision for me in my business and the work that I was doing to open that facility. First of all, it came after a good 12 years or so working with athletes either on a field and I know that's that's how we met way back when you know and 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 you know that, that you can't get more bare bones than that I would just drive somewhere with a few cones and and, <laughs> and whatever and train people and you know I did that from the time I was you know literally nineteen 20 years old and 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 then from there actually working in in facilities like so i I went to York University and they have a track and field center there uh, still you know great indoor Mm -hmm. facility and a lot of top track and field athletes still train there but that particular facility would allow uh, fitness coaches like me to come in and you know for a very small fee bring athletes in and train and 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 I did that as I said for over a decade and then eventually you know I got exposed to you know some of this technology specifically with the high speed and high incline treadmills initially and and what I saw there was Again, specifically for athletes, but then we can talk about how this works with really with anybody. But was that it, uh, the equipment and the technology was a way to get a higher intensity out of training and running training, basically, than a higher intensity than is possible to run or do other types of exercises without the technology. So it doesn't mean that it's not possible to get high intensity or, or, you know, a good workout, let's say, without the technology. But the technology made it a little bit better. And so initially with athletes, uh, again, mostly in my business, I was working with the more competitive type athletes. You know, there were some, you know, beginners or whatever, but a lot of them were trying to improve their fitness in order to get into a college or university uh, program. And a lot of them ended up also going into uh, uh, national teams in Canada and other countries and, and playing professionally. And, you know, so, so these are the the more competitive athletes that if they take care of all of their basic training that this extra level of intensity will really help them uh again back to the to the idea about uh, bare bones and, and and maybe what um perhaps your listeners or or you know even you know kind of general public out there that are thinking about fitness really in in order to make any type of improvement from any type of exercise uh, you know th- there's there's this thing called the principle of overload And so what that means, and this is literally every cell in our body, you know, responds in the same way. We need to present the physiological systems with some type of overload. So meaning a workload, an intensity, which is greater than the current capacity of the physiological system. So if it's the cardiorespiratory system, then that means some intensity or workload, which is a little bit greater than the current fitness level of that system same with the muscle. same with everything right it's the reason why if you only lift light weights at some point you won't get bigger and stronger and the heart muscle works the same way and all of that so the principle of overload is really important to understand so now we say okay how can we let's say if we want to look at people who, who have the goal of improving their cardio respiratory or cardiovascular fitness well that means you need to provide some type of stimulus consistently to the heart and lungs where the load is a little bit greater than what the capacity is you can do that really easily actually as a matter of fact you can do that without any technology at all all you need to do is walk run cycle any one of those simple forms of exercise which by the way are free (laughs) you Mm -hmm. can just put on shoes and go outside and uh you know but the key is the intensity Okay, so I've done even in my own uh, uh, master's and PhD work, uh, research some work with high intensity interval training. Uh, lots of other excellent researchers in, in Canada, uh, all over the world, have done it. And, and you know the, the term HIIT or high intensity interval training. This is you know it's a common thing that lots of coaches and fitness coaches and exercise scientists are are, are using, and they're very well aware of essentially a lot of people um, say
0: it but not a lot of people use it and I think you'd agree right with that. yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> right
1: so so maybe there's a bit of a of a gap in, in, in understanding so so basically okay again we need a higher intensity we need something which which overloads the cardiorespiratory system uh, you know to a level that's greater than its current capacity and the research has shown that the best way to do that is not with a continuous form of exercise and again, if we want to go back to bare bones, not just going out and running at the same speed for whatever amount of time, but some type of interval, which is simply a period of time that is a little bit shorter, can be 10 seconds, can be 30 seconds, can be one minute. There's all kinds of different protocols. And then with uh, within that that, that time, you, you have an interval and then you have a rest period. And sometimes the length of the interval and the length of the rest period are the same, meaning you run faster for an interval for 30 seconds and then you run slower or or you rest and catch your breath for 30 seconds and sometimes the length of the rest period is a little bit more or maybe even a little bit less uh, than the length of the work period and you know this is all there's lots of different protocols out there Uh, we you know in our business and, and and the work that I've done in my research we've kind of focused on work to rest ratios and that's the kind of again the ratio between the work time and the rest time we focused on anywhere from one to two Meaning you rest twice as much as you work up to about one to six. So, and that's because we're, you know, we're working with athletes in a specific population. But this is an excellent way to present an overload to the cardiovascular system, which is greater than its current capacity. It's an excellent way to, to achieve most of the results that probably most people want, which is improve fitness, uh, 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 prevent chronic disease like heart disease, diabetes and cancer. You can't prevent it 100%, but you can certainly limit your risk. Burn fat, gain muscle, increase metabolism, look better, feel better, all those things. And in fact, with a well-designed high-intensity interval training program, these results can be achieved with two to four workouts per week. And the workouts actually, and I mean, I'm doing it myself, so I I can speak even from personal experience. You can have workouts where like start to finish, You tie up your shoes from, you know, from that time that you tie up your shoes till the time you're done is, is 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you can get very excellent results with this. But the key is the intensity of those intervals and that intensity, generally speaking. So that means when you're doing the high intensity interval portion, you know, the, the heart rate, and then you can look at percentage of VO2 max or other ways to measure intensity. But in any case, the intensity needs to be above 75 to 80 percent of what the individual is capable of so 75 to 80 percent of max or more and the truth is that you know i I just i'm not so sure that most people maybe number one understand how to push themselves that hard and then perhaps even if they get it they don't want to do it Mm -hmm. because it doesn't feel comfortable and sometimes to be honest if i'm simplifying it to explain it to an athlete or their parents or whatever i i say look you're probably going to feel like you're almost about to throw up for about 30 <laughs> minutes but, but you know yep. then you'll feel better afterwards you know it's it's just a short amount of time and and you know that that's that's kind of the idea so so if if more people i think would understand how to do that and then would have the motivation and you know there's a whole psychological you know side to this and all that but to be able to push themselves to actually get to that intensity uh you know for a small amount of time then you know i, I think you can get excellent results and again back to your question which is it can't get more bare bones than that you can mm-hmm. get a decent pair of running shoes and then there's no other costs other than the time and as i said the time is, is very minimal high intensity interval training two to four days per week
0: Yeah, no, I I completely agree with that. And there's obviously a a lot to to unpack here. But one thing to kind of highlight is that very, very few people that you'll see in regular gyms and and people who are beginners, uh, clients of mine and stuff like that, like a commercial, you know, regular gym very few people train hard and and this is yeah. for like strength training for lifting weights or for, or for cardio. Like it's right. been, we're, we're on the tail end of summer here. And so everyone in the summer wants to like do cardio to like lose weight and you know, <laughs> yeah. it's fine. You haven't yeah. you know you've been eating cake all year. And all of a sudden you're yeah. going to go on the treadmill for 20 minutes and whatever. But I see people do this at the gym where they'll like, they go on the treadmill for 15 minutes and then they get off the treadmill, they go on the bike for 15 minutes and then they get off the bike and then they go on the Stairmaster for 15 minutes thinking that one, those implements are are doing something different. And two Mm -hmm. thinking that the cardio at like a kind of whatever pace itself is somehow leading to fat loss when they're at a very low level of intensity, but they're sweating because like it's hot in the gym and it's hot. And so you feel like, Oh, like I was working really hard. But if you put that person training under someone like yourself, really pushing them, really understanding, okay, this is what your body is capable of, despite what you may think, then that's when you start to realize like, oh, that's what hard training is like. And where I'm going with this is that training difficult is actually a a skill. And it's an important thing to develop. I notice this with a lot of my clients, when they come in, it's like, you know, you do 10 reps of a bench press with 10 pound dumbbells. And it's like, oh, that felt hard. And it's like, okay, yeah, because it's the first time you did it. But also when you get better at this, you know, you could have done 30 reps of that. That was just hard right. because it's new to you. It's not, right. it's not actually a, a, a high intensity, right? So how do you go about then trying to, trying to teach people? Like, what's your strategy for, for getting people from that beginner? Like, oh, I'm huffing and puffing and sweating. Like, this is difficult to like, oh, I can actually really push past this. And, and the mental aspect of that as well, of pushing like, this is hard, but I can keep going. I've got more, my body's got more. I can push past this to get to that threshold that we actually need to, to achieve uh, overload.
1: Right yeah so i would say i i mean definitely you made a good point and and you know the truth is with beginners there's you know there's you know these concepts of training age or you know that kind of thing and 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 that is that is what it is there's a learning effect uh first of all for any beginner uh and, and even athletes a lot of times because mm-hmm. you know the truth is that and maybe we can talk more about this but my, you know, my primary sport that I've played and coached and worked in at all different levels is soccer. And, and, you know, almost nobody in soccer is training as hard as they should be. Mm -hmm. You know, they're almost all out of shape. And, but in any case, even athletes, but of course, this applies to the general population. If they're not accustomed to training hard or at a high intensity, then you're not going to necessarily be able to get them to, you know, to, to, to be able to do that right away. It may take time, may take a few months. and, And there's, you know, good literature on this about adaptation phases and that kind of thing with with training and so uh i think again like kind of like you said teaching people about the meaning of intensity and 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 how to quantify it and again you can use heart rate monitors i think with with weight training it's fairly simple because you can measure that you know the, the weight that's used and even if you don't have access to technology for a heart rate monitor or whatever there's rating of perceived exertion like those sort of you know subjective scales but if people are honest those can be very uh you know reliable too so it's it's like as a coach or a fitness coach there is an educational component and i and i i've experienced it you know that people can learn and 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 once they do learn you know they can get much better at it and again you know the, the the idea behind training at a high intensity is okay yeah they have to learn how to do it and then the key is trying to find the the methods which allow you to get the highest intensity that you possibly can. And I can speak about cardiovascular fitness and about strength training. And, and you know, the concept is very similar. As I said, you know, we talked about bare bones and running and all that. And, you know, I, I invested in this, you know, treadmill technology specifically because I saw that it was a way with cardiovascular training to make the intensity of the intervals higher. Uh... Strength training, again, you know, you made an excellent point, which is a lot of times people, they lift a certain weight or you may tell them to do 10 repetitions or 12 and they do 10 or 12. But the truth is that a prescription of 10 repetitions or 12, what that actually means is the maximum weight you can lift 10 Mm. times. Yes. And they have to understand that. And maybe the 8th and ninth, and 10th rep, there's a spot or, you know, a little bit of a struggle or or maybe often i mean there's very good literature on this too is uh, about fatigue three sets of ten well you know what the third set you may only get eight with the same weight it's very common like you don't you know so anyway um people need to learn it they need to experience it and and then eventually uh, you know obviously um, you know they'll they'll, hopefully they'll get it but uh, um that all goes back to the concept of the principle of overload so with cardiovascular training okay the improvements that are made, not only do you need that high intensity, but actually the improvements, so we can talk about everything from the strength and contractility of the heart, uh, stroke volume, which is the amount of blood that gets pumped out, um, the uh, uh, maximal oxygen consumption is, is our ability to, to utilize oxygen. Even uh, at, at, the, at the cellular level, so, so the, the actual, the, the, the muscle cells in the heart and the exercising muscles have something called mitochondria in them. Mitochondria is, you know, the little organelle in the cell that helps actually produce energy. So we grow mitochondria based on, you know, the intensity of training and getting to an overload. But those improvements are dependent upon intensity meaning the higher the intensity the greater the magnitude of improvement so think you know more mitochondria and more you know larger heart muscle all that and also the greater the speed of the improvement meaning the changes come faster and it's the exact same in terms of the improvements with strength training so once people learn again three sets of ten or four sets of ten means the heaviest weight you can lift ten times or three sets of six, or whatever the protocol is, and they do that consistently. They get bigger improvements, greater si- muscle size, greater strength, all of it, and the improvements come faster. And so that, like you know, and, and I, I just don't know really if that message is getting through to like gyms and fitness coaches. And you know, I am a you know a professor at the at the college and university level, and you know, this is something that whatever course I'm teaching, you know, I I, I try to you know mix that in there because. Really at that, you know, in that environment, I'm kind of helping to mm-hmm. teach and train the future, uh, personal trainers and fitness coaches and strength and conditioning coaches. So they have to learn about intensity and they have to learn ways, uh, within reason, uh, uh that they can present a greater intensity and overload system and anyway I, that leads into periodization which maybe we can we can talk about next
0: so, yeah, I, yeah i don't think that that message of like intensity is really getting through to a lot of people because yeah. i still see so many people who consider a rep range just counting oh well the program said you know 3 sets of 10 like you said so i stopped at 10 it's like well your body doesn't have a an internal rep counter like this is not some inherent human thing that it just counts reps it underst- like the muscles in your body and the tendons and the tissues understand four and, and intensity, and so if there's nothing, if there's no, not enough force applied to it, then it has no reason to change. Like it doesn't know that you did 10 and that doesn't mean, oh, 10 is like the functional hypertrophy range. And if you did six reps, all of a sudden you're building strength. And if you did 12 reps, you're building whatever. Like it yeah. doesn't, it doesn't work like that. The, the number is a reflection of intensity relative yeah. to like your one rep max, right? If you said one rep, then yeah, you know that you're trying to lift as much as you can for one rep. And 10 reps is some percentage of that where you should be essentially maxing out ish at that 10 rep. Close to ten rep, and this is why, for anyone whoever wonders this, that reps are always written in ranges. Very rarely will you have like three sets of ten. It's always three sets of ten to twelve, and that's because you'll land somewhere in that ten to twelve range. It, whether it's exactly ten or eleven doesn't matter. Just so mm-hmm. like the, the the intensity. And the same thing is with cardio training, right? It's like a thirty-minute run doesn't mean anything if that thirty-minute yeah. run was like you you didn't even you know break a sweat or what, weren't exhausted or tired at all. If the intensity wasn't high enough. Exactly. (laughs) Now this, this does bring me to another question and and this kind of leads into periodization, but there's Mm -hmm. been a lot more talk lately about, um, incorporating zone two cardio training. Zone two being like the lower intensity at an intensity, you know, just to sort of define it for people where like, yeah. you know, I don't know what the exact heart rate zone is. I think it's, they say like 65 to 70%, 75%, something like that. Yeah. And it's like a, you know, an intensity where you should still be able to maintain a, a conversation without interrupting your breathing yeah, The talk, test, so yeah. the talk <laughs> test, right? Yeah. And so where does that fall into being useful, uh, in terms of improving VO2 max or improving just cardio respiratory fitness overall?
1: Okay, so any type of cardiovascular exercise is useful in the sense that it's stroke training, you know, strengthening the heart muscle and, and, and all of that. And and, and in a good, um, you know, maybe we can speak a bit more about periodization and all that, but mm-hmm. in in, in, a, in a periodized training program, essentially where there's changes throughout the week or throughout a period of time in, in volume and intensity, you know, these uh, slower or lower intensity or moderate intensity workouts are great to incorporate into a routine. So, um, you know, usually, like, the, 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 I can speak about athletes and then I can say again, you know, general population can train something like an athlete and modify it to their own capacity. But uh, a moderate intensity training session, which might be zone two in cardio or in between zone two and zone three, that type of workout is good to do maybe on the day after or two days after a very high intensity day. So, uh, you know, it, it can still be effective. But if that's all you do, and you never again, you never over the course of a week or, you know, 10 days or some block of time, you never have at least one or two days where you present a higher overload or a higher intensity. Yes, you may improve fitness to a certain degree, but it's unlikely that you're going to actually get really well okay you may improve but you're not going to optimize improvements Mm -hmm. and that's that's a key right is like so so uh uh, improving is not a binary uh uh concept where it's either you get fitter or you don't or you get stronger and you don't uh there's a scale so optimizing improvement requires overload and again that requires a higher intensity and i'll say you know just so everyone's listening is, is clear about this is The intensity, even if it's at 75, 80, 90% of maximum, that is all relative to each individual. So if you and I are doing the same exact workout, meaning let's say we're doing 10 repetitions of a 1 minute run at 80% of VO2 max with 1 minute rest. That's a good workout by the way, (laughs) very effective and only takes 20 minutes. If my VO2 max or my, my velocity at VO2 max, which is the speed at which I reach VO2 max is 10 miles an hour and yours is 12 miles an hour, then, you know, I'm going to run it, you know, at, at eight miles an hour and you're going to run it, you know, whatever it is, 10.5. So, so, so what we're going to do is we're going to train, we're going to do the same workout, but I'm training relative to my maximal intensity and you're training relative to yours. Mm -hmm. And what the literature shows, again, with cardiovascular training or strength training, is that you can apply that concept to anybody. I spoke about, actually spoke about this yesterday. One of the classes I teach at the university is Intro to Health. We're talking about the use of exercise in the rehabilitation following heart disease, including heart attack and, and heart failure. And of course, someone who suffers you know from a disease like that they're going to see a physician cardiologist they're going to have some recovery time but when it's time to exercise as a matter of fact they typically are going to get prescribed some type of high intensity interval training right relative to their capacity now the the physician or cardiologist might say okay we're not going to exceed you know 120 beats a minute or whatever it is like there's there's thresholds there yeah but their their high
0: intensity is a lot lower than the average person, but it's still high intensity to them. For them, right? Yeah.
1: And, and and then, again, they're going to present an overload to the heart muscle and the heart's going to get stronger. And it's really interesting because if you think about it, there's probably nobody in the world that needs to strengthen their heart more than someone who's just had a heart attack or, or has a condition like heart failure. Because it literally means like the heart is weak. Yeah. And if it doesn't get stronger, then, you know not good (laughs) you don't you don't survive right so so this concept can literally be applied to anybody and again as long as the intensity is relative then it works really well so
0: so so in speaking in in the context of an athlete then assuming that this person has uh you know, uh, unlimited, like they're a professional athlete, they have unlimited time, their full time job is training. Right. Where does the, the lower, you know, mm-hmm. zone two cardio training fit in to mm-hmm. their training regime? And like, how often should they be doing it relative to the higher intensity training? Because also higher intensity training, you shouldn't be doing that every single day, like there has to no. be a recovery
1: period not at all so yeah now we're speaking about periodization and i'll say i'll talk about athletes but i'm going to say you can totally apply this to the general population i've done it and you know again they get excellent results so first of all if we wanted to plot so and and uh load okay is is just a simple concept which is the volume of training usually measured either in time you know maybe with strength training number of reps or whatever but some you know measure of volume and then intensity which is easy to measure like if we think about it as heart rate or percentage of maximal heart rate Mm -hmm. can be rpe uh, can be the weight lifted or whatever but volume multiplied by intensity that's load and even anyone who's got a fitbit or a polar watch or you know There's a load metric. There's some algorithm in there, which is factoring in the volume and the intensity. So if we were to plot, and I got to make sure I'm getting this right because I'm going this way. Yeah. (laughs) So if we, if we were to plot uh, load, okay, on your, on your y axis and, you know, days of the week or whatever on the x axis, okay, it needs to be a wave pattern. Okay. Meaning if there's a high load day where the volume and or the intensity was high, then that needs to be followed either by a, a moderate or a low load day, or maybe, you know, two low load days. And then and then around the middle of the week, you can get another peak again. So you have this wave. And so more or less within a week, if you've got two or maybe three peaks or high load days, that's more than enough. The low or the moderate loads fit in between those. And a very common protocol again. My, my sport is soccer, so I, you know I know it very well. And you know, there's a game once a week usually, and that the load is always high, almost maximal, and, and maybe you can consider it maximal. Okay. After that, there's there's either a day off or a recovery day where the load is really low.
2: Right.
1: You know, maybe let's say the game was Sunday, so Monday is a recovery day. Tuesday perhaps is a moderate day, and then Wednesday becomes a high day again, and then Thursday is moderate, and then Friday and Saturday are kind of low. And you repeat that cycle, and of course, if there's two games in a week, then you change it or, or whatever. But throughout the week, then you have that that wave-like pattern. And 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 again, that's one of the main concepts of periodization. And every person who is training can absolutely apply the same exact concept to their own training. Don't do two very high load days consecutively. Allow for some recovery and lower, and and make it a wave-like pattern. And then the next thing which I'll mention is just. Uh, and again, if we go back to the concept of load, okay, that, um, the, there's a simple way to think about, because maybe people are thinking, well, how do I start? How much is too much? You know, right? How do I do this? So, so, um, there's something called the acute to chronic workload ratio. Okay. And what that is, is a ratio between the acute load, which is what you do today. And again, load being volume multiplied by intensity. So what you do today and the ratio between that load and the chronic workload. Now there's a few ways to think about chronic load. Think of it as a general rule, the average of the workload that you've had over the past three weeks. And then there's some like, you know, there's weighted averages and stuff to, you know, kind of uh, to make it a bit, yeah, a bit more, you know, precise, let's say, right? But, but basically, what you're doing today relative to what you've been doing over the last three weeks. And what you've been doing over the last three weeks is, is more or less as a measure of your current capacity. So if that ratio is, it, it should be higher than one, because if it's lower than one, that means what you've done today is lower than your capacity. Mm-hmm. Now that's okay for a recovery day, but that's certainly not okay for the days where you need an overload. Like that, and that's literally what an overload is, by the way. So if the ratio is one, there's no overload. Right. It has to be greater than one to have an overload. Okay. Now, the idea, and the literature is pretty clear on this, and I've done it in practice too, so, you know, I've got a lot of experience with this, as long as the ratio doesn't go higher than about 1.2 or maybe 1.25. What does that mean? That means what you do today should not be 20 to 25%, or at least should not be greater than 20%, sorry, greater than 25% of the load that you've been, you know, training at for the last three weeks. Okay. It's like if you're used to bench pressing with 100 pounds as your, you know, your weight, you know, for three weeks, you've been doing that. You're not all of a sudden going to go and bench press 130 pounds. You might only add five pounds on each side. You know, it's a right. simple concept, but you yeah. know, that's a, that's a 10% increase, yeah. right? So, so you just don't want to do 25, 30, 40% increases. And by the way, it's that that increase in load, which is disproportionate to capacity, which actually causes injury. Mm-hmm. And that leads me into, you know, my criticisms with uh, a lot of the, you know, soccer specifically, so the provincial and national soccer governing bodies and, and the incorrect information that they give to these hundreds of thousands of people that are playing soccer. And as a whole, sports and, and some fitness organizations in the province and in the country where we live, the information that's being given to everybody which is that uh, you know I call it the overtraining myth mm-hmm. which is we tell everybody we tell all these young athletes and to a, to a lesser extent we also tell you know adults and everybody you know you're getting hurt because you're doing too much you're overtraining too much and that's incomplete at best and it's a little bit disingenuous right so As a matter of fact, nobody's doing too much. Some of them are doing too much too soon. Yeah. Right? There's an increase in load that's disproportionate to what they're capable of. That's the cause of the injury. Yeah. The problem with telling people that they're doing too much is that what's the next uh, step, you know, the logical progression to that? Well, they do less. Do less. And they're already doing too little. That's right. And they're already doing too little and they're already out of shape. So now their fitness gets lower and guess what happens to their injury risk? higher it goes up right so 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 it's not about doing too much or too little it's about too much too soon and to understand that you have to understand the acute to chronic workload ratio and then you know there's there's no reason why even you know just a regular adult that's not an athlete can't start with a certain load and start incrementally making five to ten percent increases every every period of time that's what periodization is maybe every week or every two weeks a small increase And then they can get to the point where they can train five or six days a week if they have the time for it and and slowly, gradually improve their fitness while minimizing risk of injury. Athletes do it. Non-athletes can do it. And I laugh sometimes because, again, you know, in soccer, like we have some players, supposedly high performance players, and I use that, you know, I put the air quotes in there. You know They're training three days a week. The intensity, the load of the training sessions is very low. The coaches are just talking all the time. And then these people are being told by the governing body that, no, 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 no more than three practices a week because then your risk of overtraining goes up. So they don't do any other exercise. Yeah, Fitness goes down and then they go play games where the load is very high. They can't handle the games. They get hurt. And of course, you know, this positive feedback loop repeats itself so
0: yeah the 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 stuff in soccer to me that doesn't make sense and and i think this is um i'm not as immersed in the the world of soccer as you are and not as much as i was a few years ago but it's similar to all sports where kind of the the old heads in the sport think that like the fitness stuff is just extra to the sport. And it's like, just, just play the sport and you'll be good because that's how we used to do it 75 years ago. It's like, well, 75 years ago, they weren't very good athletes or we're, we're, we're a lot better than that. Now we know a lot more. So it's like three training sessions a week, which are sport training sessions, like training your, your technical skills, your, your team, your formation, your tactical skills. Like that's not super high intensity work. Like we used to do those training sessions with my team. Like those were easy practices like you barely sweat or do you know it's not very hard but it's but it's very important to the sport that you're playing for the skill uh, that you're doing then you have to go and do your actual fitness work and get fit for the game and so doing three kind of technical tactical sessions per week that's not really physical training especially for someone who's a pro athlete and then you go into a 90 minute game and wonder why you pull your hamstring you know 15 minutes into the game it's really no surprise but but somehow it's not it's not common knowledge amongst the people who should know.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, they, they violate the acute to chronic workload ratio, right? But so, so soccer or other sports absolutely can be used as a way to build fitness. But again, you need the right intensity and, and, you know, and, and that requires knowledge from coaches. And, you know, again, I mean, I've, uh, I've, I've tried very hard for a very long time here in Ontario and Canada to, to teach, but uh, you know the powers that be uh, don't seem to be very receptive to 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 that knowledge. And, and 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 I I truly believe that the main reason for that is that the, the people that are in charge of teaching coaches they have no knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so when people or you know when when new knowledge and information is presented to them that they don't understand, they'll probably be happier if nobody understands it because then at least their own lack of knowledge will not get exposed. That's the experience I've had in soccer. Now, more broadly speaking, okay, it's not that different than what's happening with fitness and physical education in general. Okay. So gym classes back in the day used to be, you know, a fairly, uh, let's say well structured, rigorous, demanding and intense form of exercise. And in addition to the physical education that children would get in public schools for free, There were also school teams and relatively inexpensive after-school sports programs that, you know, almost everybody could do and could afford and all that. And then there was less homework and less free time and less technology and all that. So there was much more time even to do, you know, play sports and play around kids playing with their friends and all that. So we've kind of like, we've gone completely the opposite direction with all of that. Uh, Childhood obesity and, uh, and just children being out of shape, you know, has, has become a, a much greater problem than it was. Overweight and obesity among adults in Canada. I mean, I, you know, I've got the data clear in my mind because I'm mm-hmm. teaching this stuff right now. We're at basically about 50% of the population overweight. <laughs> We're at over 30%, almost one third obese. It's getting worse. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so, so it's, it's, to me, it's, you know, it's kind of all based on like a fundamental misunderstanding of how much intensity uh, how much exercise is required and what intensity of exercise is required. So you can play soccer at a high intensity, three, four, five days a week, and you can build your fitness perhaps to the point that you don't need other, you know, you might need strength training or whatever, but maybe you can, but no one's doing that. And again, <laughs> right. why don't, why aren't they doing it? Because no one is teaching the coaches about fitness and periodization and whatever. Now, why are they not teaching the coaches? Because the people in charge of teaching coaches are incompetent. Right. And their lack of competence translates directly into the teaching and courses that they provide. So, uh, you know, and I'm not going to say that all physical education in, in the province or the country is incompetent. There's very good teachers and people out there, but... I have definitely noticed, uh I've got a lot of friends and colleagues that are teachers and all that, and there's just been a de-emphasis uh, uh, on uh, on physical education and, you know, gym class and all of that in general in school. Yeah. And so I think maybe the idea in the educational system was, well, you know, they let the kids do that on their own and let them go play sports and that's okay, but now we're funneling kids into all these different sports programs, you know, from, from five o'clock to nine o'clock at night and...
0: Anyway, yeah, maybe I th- not the I th- ideal th- way to do it, but... No, I, I think <laughs> yeah. with, with the kids anyways, like uh, I think the some of the message of the over-specialization at too early of an age was misinterpreted as over-training. Yeah. And so right. maybe a kid yeah. playing baseball seven days a week, well, maybe they don't need to play baseball seven days a week, but it's not because they don't need to exercise seven days a week. It's like maybe they only need to play baseball when they're nine years old three days a week is plenty and then another day they can do swimming lessons and another day they can you know play soccer play hockey you know uh, do gymnastics like whatever whatever else just to yeah. change up the 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 stimulus and the physical training that they're getting but that's not about like the volume of training that they're doing yeah. and yeah. then same thing with you know regular people again it's like i you know will see someone comes in 60 pounds overweight and you know we talk about no maybe you'll train three days a week and like oh but i don't want to i want to be careful not to uh, like overtrain i'm like (laughs) you know inside i'm not going to say this to someone's face but it's like that's the least of your concerns is overtraining like you you, you've been (laughs) you you don't overtrain and then get 60 pounds overweight that's not what happened like let's let's get to a point where you're extremely fit and then we can even think about the concept of overtraining but no one is no one is getting there and I think that you're completely correct that that, that it is a myth. I, I don't know a single person, and I know some people who have played in the program and stuff as well. I don't know a single person who has legitimately overtrained.
1: Well, yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, again, I know you you were a soccer player before, so like like in our sport, it, it's kind of rare. Now there is a, a challenge in professional soccer, not in Canada, but in some other countries where the the leagues and the and the different international competitions run almost the whole year. You know, they're playing lots of games. Some of them, you know, it depends on the league, but, you know, some of the top players, you know, 70 games, 80 right. games a year and exhibitions and all that. Like they can get to that point, maybe. Um, overtraining in athletes typically happens more in the individual sports where the requirement in order to make improvements is, it's just so demanding. Right. Swimming. You know, track and field, these, you know, where they're training four or five, maybe even six hours a day, multiple workouts a day. That's when overtraining happens. And basically, again, the idea behind, of course, if, if people are undertrained or unfit or unprepared and then they immediately, you know, uh, do a a workout or a series of of exercises that they're, that they're, you know, literally, literally not prepared for, they're going to get hurt. But they did not get hurt because they overtrained. They got hurt be- or not because they did too much. They got hurt because they did too much too soon. Yeah. And that's you know I think a good message for for any you know fitness coach. <laughs> yeah. Again,
0: uh, yeah. of course, overtraining does exist, but like like yeah. you said, these are people playing individual sports at the highest level, Olympic yeah. and world class athletes who are training multiple hours a day, not not doing three uh, group class workouts a week. Like that's not right. yeah. that's 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 not it. And nothing against the you know the group classes on, on that, but it's like it's a good it's a good time of year I think for this message to get out there because September is a big is a big fitness month. People some people don't realize it, but like January is the big like oh mm-hmm. I'm gonna get back at shape but then september is the second version of that because after the summer of you know doing everything and vacation and partying september get back into school get back into routine like i'm gonna get back into it and you Mm -hmm. see you know the gyms get busy again and then it's like all right i'm just going back into it right back what i was doing in in march and it's like well okay but you haven't worked out in three months or you've been working out very very little so what makes you think you could do the same thing and that's again where, where injury happens and then it you know it feeds into this oh well i I did too much, and no you you were just out of shape, and you've got to temper your expectations uh correctly because that's that's the only thing that gets you injured it's it's the tissues not being able to handle the load that you're that you're demanding of them, and not because you you
1: overloaded them It's another violation of the acute chronic workload ratio exactly exactly
0: <laughs> okay. now something that 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 happened very recently and and this is a, a little bit of a side topic here, but I wanted to get your thoughts on it if you have any more insight mm-hmm. on this. In the NFL, you know, the season the season just started, right? Yeah. So athletes, and again, all professional athletes are not like super dialed in the best. You know, they may have access to all the resources, but that doesn't mean yeah. they always have the the best training. Right. Now, um, they also don't always have the best technology and stuff, even though they yeah. they should. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers, very prolific, yeah. quarterback. Yeah. He tore his Achilles in the first. Game of the season, very very early in the game. Now a yeah. lot of the criticism from this is the the turf field versus a regular grass field. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Because in my and before I know you, I can yeah. see your brain ticking there. <laughs> yeah. But you know, there's there's been a lot of criticism from some strength coaches who I follow online. Like, oh, that this is completely avoidable. There's no way you should be tearing your Achilles first game of the season. You should be training yeah. and and be able to handle this. And then a lot of people like, well you can handle as much as you can handle and there's some element uh, of chance and like being on a turf field doesn't help that in any way. So what what are your thoughts on the turf versus grass? I know this is not applicable to like, you know, oh, people, yeah, but, but what's, sure. what's your thoughts on it?
1: I'll tell you, I probably have a lot of thoughts on that. So the first thing I would say is, and, and I, I, I saw, um, and I didn't watch the game, but I saw, you know, the, the footage of, of, of the tackle and the injury and all that. And, um, you know, the way I saw it, there's a big, uh, you know, linebacker or whoever it is, right? You know, this guy probably weighs a good 250 pounds and and he's running fast. So, you know, I wonder if we had a load cell or something on that Achilles tendon. Basically, he's being pulled to the – well, he's being pulled backwards and down right at the point where his – well his foot is contacting the ground and this is you know we we would call that plantar flexion and it's part of you know the extension of the hip knee and ankle he's trying to run forward so he's and 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 by the way a lot of that load is going straight into that tendon okay so so he's basically trying to propel himself forward on one leg and he's not as big as this big weight behind him you know would i call that unavoidable or or, so, so would i call that preventable Honestly, no. I think, you know, football is a contact sport and unfortunately, you know, th- these things can happen and, and uh, it's it's just the nature of the game when, when big heavy people are, are tackling you and all that. <laughs> um, usually the the injuries that are considered preventable in football, soccer, whatever, and, you know, then we'll get into the discussion of turf, but usually the injuries that are considered preventable or at least where we should be able to, through proper training, mitigate and minimize the risk. Uh, are the injuries that are that are non-contact. Mm. So uh, player runs and sprints and then decelerates and kind of that last step before they plant and turn that landing from a jump you know uh, uh, these kind of, uh, of movements where where there's no external load other than whatever the athlete has with their own body weight and you know inertia and all that. So so um the non-contact injuries are the ones that that are more preventable. Uh I, this was not a non-contact injury. Uh so so you know keep that in mind and, and then we have to talk about okay the, you know the, the turf itself so the newer generations of field turf I don't know the facility where uh, you know where Aaron Rodgers was playing but you know it's the NFL I would guess that maybe they've, they've invested in the best possible quality of turf the the differences in let's say the the friction that is experienced when athletes are running and slowing down and all that and the kind of the consistency and and all of that between those newer generation turf and grass they aren't that different mm. so there there probably is a smaller risk and you have to forgive me because i'm not up to date on all the literature sure. on it but i remember okay so there were initial types of of, of artificial turf way back like in the 80s and 90s and Sometimes this was called astroturf. Or it was almost like a carpet. The yeah. friction it was really, really high. Lots of players got hurt on those uh, football, soccer, all of it, right? and eventually uh, field turf started to become created with with infill with you know rubber or other materials that started to make the the um, uh, ground reaction forces uh, forces and the shock absorption and again the you know the friction uh, experience like all of these things started to become more consistent with grass and you know so I, i don't know for sure there may be a slightly higher risk from it but again i go back to he he didn't get hurt because of the turf he got hurt because he was on one leg you know plantar flexing and propelling himself forward against a huge resistance pulling him backward and
0: he got hurt because he was playing football yes (laughs) Yes, <laughs> that's what I would say. So, yeah. 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 No, fair fair enough. I I think I mean, to, you know to bring this back to to being more relevant to people. That was just, you know, curious off, off my yeah. head, but but I I kind of agree with you. It's like, yeah, make, maybe, but the the biggest the overwhelming biggest factor was like it was a football play and and that happens mm. in football. It just yeah. it seems it's incredibly unfortunate that it's right. like yeah. first game with a new team, fourth play of the game, like yeah, you couldn't write it any worse. But, yeah. you know, it, it it is what it is. Um no, but, so, but So, so you know, sorry
1: didn't drop. Yeah just one thing about that though that 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 what we don't know and this is where some of the you know technology can be really helpful is what was the accumulation of load and fatigue on the achilles tendon before right and uh, i'm working actually my phd you know uh, supervisor who's a a, like a biomechanist uh, at the university of guelph he's he's done a ton of work using ultrasound imaging uh essentially to measure sort of the elasticity and the you know kind of the pliability of of tendons and ligaments as a predictor of injury mm. and he's not worked with football but he has worked with even some other like varsity athletes at, at the school and also uh, general population uh, older people etc uh, and so these are the kind of uh, 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 you know technological tools that could really be useful because you know who knows perhaps that leg was a little weaker you know there were, maybe there were some tackles in training or some other things you know maybe he's older he's got wear and tear and you know, it was a little, um, you know, the accumulation of load and fatigue weakened the tendon a bit more. So, right. Anyway. Yeah, no,
0: no. I mean, if, if that technology comes to, like, becomes a, a more available and more, a, and mm-hmm. you know, efficiently accurate and whatnot, yeah. it seems like it would be a great thing to be, to be utilized in the NFL. And you might not, you know, you might still put the guy in the game because like he's, he's got to play. It's professional yeah. sports. It's yeah. not a right. little kid playing, yeah. but you, you maybe do some, some more work. Maybe there's a tape job that you can do to, to help yeah. prevent it or, or, or something like that. And yeah. you do some more prep in, in camp or and just some more attention to it before, because a lot of times with these injuries, like, they don't feel anything until it snaps. But right. if you had a way of detecting that there's a weakness in the tissue, you could start to give some attention to it before uh, there's an actual tangible uh, feeling of something something, something going wrong.
1: Right. And I think,
0: you yeah. know, the, again, to, to bring this back to, to sort of regular people, is that right. you mentioned that most of these injuries that are preventable are the non-contact injuries, which are right. a lot of what regular people experience, right? I was just, you know, picking up the grocery bag. I was just going down the stairs. I was just, you know, quote unquote, out just, of the yeah, <laughs> doing a regular life activity. Like most people are not getting tackled by 300 pound <laughs> linebackers. Like this is right. not happening in your, in your life. So all your injuries are non-contact injuries and they're mostly preventable through training just through, through being physically fit, your training doesn't have to be like the most intelligent, uh, super good training. Of course you want to optimize like you mentioned, but it doesn't have to be like some crazy professional athlete like training. You just have to be training because if you're not preparing your body for the stuff that happens, that's, that's when things go wrong. And I think that, you know, should be the take home message for, for most people from, from this conversation is like, if you're not prepared, then, when the demands exceed the the capabilities, injury occurs.
1: Absolutely, yeah, that's it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. It, it, it seems it seems so simple to, to to say, but it's like it's obviously very difficult. And, and again, with sports, you know, heading into the off season ish of soccer here here in, in 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 Ontario, end of the season yeah. and stuff in Canada, US. Um, there's going to be a lot of players who are transitioning into off season training programs and getting prepped for next season. And it's like, well, you don't want to, you don't need to train your hardest right now you got to taper up uh, and get yourself prepped for next season because the train the training during the season is the time to maintain what you've got and stay healthy you shouldn't be the right. time where you're improving versus regular people where you don't have a you don't have a season you don't have games or tournaments or whatever it's just you're kind of always in this steady improvement um so your periodization is a little bit less important because it's less specific and, and you're not a pro athlete, but, uh, but, but still you should be, should be considering like how much have you been doing and is what you are going to try and do, uh, a little bit more than that, but not too much more than that.
1: Yep. Five to 20%, let's say. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, it, it, it's a, it's a good way to think about it in that percentage way. Cause I think people just go, go way to, um, get it, get, get ahead of themselves. And, probably more true in 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 men especially in the context of weightlifting, where it's like hey you know i used to do this back in back in the day it's like okay but back in the day was 25 years ago like Mm, (laughs) let's 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 be mm. real about what's what's going on here (laughs) like let's you know let's chill for a second um so so yeah it's super super important i think to to kind of just nail nail that down for for a lot of people here for sure yeah now, w- one thing that you wanted to talk about before—is uh, there anything else you wanted to say just on the kind of periodization stuff? I mean, you can talk for forever on it, but is there anything else yeah. that you kind of wanted to to get into on periodization or just like uh, load management stuff like that? I think we've
1: we've given it enough time. Yeah, yeah, we're good. Yeah.
0: Switching switching gears then on, on this, and and you know, as we start to to come to a close, one thing we wanted to talk about was just a little bit more of the kind of the the, the business side or the the. Professional side of, of training, where a lot of people, myself included, and, and probably yourself, we yeah. come we we come from a background of playing sports at a moderate to high ish level or whatever level it was. Mm-hmm. And you think, oh, I want to train athletes. I want to. I want to. I want to yeah. train the the pros. I want to train LeBron James. I want to work for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I want to you know do the thing. What's been your experience uh, from from a professional and business standpoint of like working with actual athletes versus working with general population and seeing, you know, younger people come come through the system through through school and stuff like that.
1: Right, yeah. So, my own story probably is pretty, uh, you know, pretty common uh in the sense that um, uh, you know, I, I chose to study kinesiology because I was an athlete and you know, I played at the university level and a little bit in a, in a semi-pro league here in Canada, but I was a decent athlete, but whatever. Like a lot of um I think athletes when they're in high school or whatever, maybe they they decide to get into Kinesiology or one of the fitness and health promotion, you know, programs or, or even, you know, to work as a fitness coach outside of, uh, let's say post-secondary education or whatever, but they get into it often because it's sort of a, you know, it's almost a natural progression from being an athlete to learning about the body and sports and all that. And I think it's also probably very common. Uh, and I say this not just because of my own experience, but, or not, not my own as a, as a, as a student and, and a student athlete and all that, but, uh, in, in my business, we've had literally hundreds of internship students. We have lots of, you know, employees that are either current or former um, university or college students, and and then all the students that I've been teaching. It's been uh, seven years now that I, I've been a, you know, part time and eventually almost a full time uh, professor. So there's just lots of young uh, kinesiology and fitness and health promotion students that I uh, interact with and have interacted with. So it's a common theme you get into studying it you get into it cuz you're an athlete and, and and probably a lot of them are also thinking about wow I'd like to I'd like to train athletes I'd like to be a strength and conditioning coach for the Toronto Raptors or you know TFC or whatever and you know obviously for me because my sport was soccer I worked very hard and connected myself at uh, at some of those higher levels and I was fortunate to get get some opportunities to work with national teams and professional and and then even you know through my business with with hundreds of, of professional athletes initially soccer and eventually even lots of other sports as well and and the truth is that um like again it makes sense for people to want to do that and and you know i, I don't want to come off as a again as a hypocrite again i probably contradicted myself a few times <laughs> between uh, actions and words but uh, you know hope this isn't another time that i do that but um you know uh sometimes, uh, let's say, let's say from the, from the uh, standpoint or the perspective of, of, uh, just uh, the economical perspective or the economics of the fitness industry, it's important for people who want to do that kind of work to think about it from a numbers perspective, right? So, first of all, what percentage of the total population in Canada, Ontario, Toronto, wherever, are athletes. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know that. But if I had to guess, I would say, I don't know, maybe 10%, maybe five, something like that. It's a small Small. number. And then from there, okay, well, what percentage are competitive athletes? And it's probably again, you know, (laughs) at least cut that in half if even less, right? And then from there, you have to say, well, okay, you want to provide services to these, you know, 5% of of 5% and how many can afford it? if you want to you know do you know training programs and you know whatever it is and how many live close to you cuz i said ontario and you know or toronto and toronto's a huge city and anyway so essentially the point that i'm making i don't know the specifics but i know that it's it's a it's a tiny fraction of the total potential audience that might yeah. benefit from fitness training or whatever right so so it's a niche and then from there again i mean i Again, I, you know, I, I even made an even smaller niche for myself because for 10 years, my company was soccer fitness, which means we just, we just trained soccer players. And anyway, I had connections and I, you know, I had lots of, uh, uh, you know, between my playing days and coaching and all that. And I had kind of enough uh, of a clientele to, to do it. But it's, it's when you get into those niche type businesses, okay. Well, it's, it's inherently much more competitive. And then I can speak about eventually in my career when I started to get to the higher levels. You know, I always had my business, but I, you know, again, I worked with the women's national teams for a long time, men's national team a little bit, several different professional clubs, university teams, and still am. And you know, so uh, in those environments, and it's not just in soccer. This is very true in, in anything from basketball to baseball, hockey, whatever. Okay, the supply of young and smart and, and competent and willing uh, strength and conditioning coaches is way greater than the demand. <laughs> right. Okay. We have, what do we have? Four or five, you know, kind of top level professional clubs in Toronto. Now, okay, there's the CPL in soccer and there's the OHL in hockey and there's uh, whatever the NBA D league or, you know, that like kind of these. So, but, but again, those are small and but so also yeah the,
0: the, the drop off in money from from the, the is, big club to the, like the, the the second team is, is significant is significant right yeah. yeah so and i've
1: experienced you know both right so so like again the supply way out uh over exceeds the uh the demand yeah and what does that mean well that means that the clubs that are hiring you know they know that and they don't pay very much i mean even the top clubs and i you know i, I don't want to get into the specifics sure. and former employers and all that but it's the way it is okay so so if you want to get into that environment um uh, or or that type of work running a business great but understand that it's a niche and you're gonna have to work really 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 hard to you know to make a living and all that if you want to get into it in the you know college semi-pro pro level great like you know don't don't get discouraged but go with your eyes open and you know understand that you know honestly, you might get offered a $30,000 contract. You might get, who knows, you know, I mean, I, right. I, again, I don't want to get into all the specifics, yeah. but it's, and, 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 and on top of, okay, the, again, the supply exceeding the demand, uh, uh, there's also, uh, well, what can I say? There's, there's no stability at all. Right. Okay. So, uh, uh in the blink of an eye, uh, uh, team doesn't do well, coach gets fired. And this is the coach that brought you in and or or even just other changes can happen i mean you know like i of course bas- basically I, I as far as i can tell i i i stopped working with the women's national program simply because they moved their operation out to bc and just figured that you know they that- <laughs> Couldn't bring me out there because I was in Ontario. So, sure. Anyway, but but it's also
0: it's also like a logistical thing that matters. Mm, like if yeah, they course, if they yeah. had if they had offered you, you still might have said no because, like, well, you have a family, and so do you want right. to move your family to BC for a job that you also might get fired in two months from because right. they yeah. you know the wind <laughs> changes direction that day. Like right. you know who knows, right? So yeah. it, and it, it's it's a realistic thing and thinking about travel and where you live and your family life, and so yeah, mm. it's a thing that has to be considered.
1: Yeah, and I uh, it's funny that you say that because I you know I, I I took so many of these different jobs and 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 when I was single and, and didn't have kids. And then, you know, I live, I lived in other countries. I lived in South America. I lived in other cities, you know, Ottawa and, and traveled. I mean, a couple of years with the national team where I was, I was out of, away from home, you know, almost 150 days out of the year. And so, you know, I've, I've lived that life. And, 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 and the truth is that like, um, you know, there's almost a, a, a trade-off between all the excitement and just the amazing experiences of, you know being at, a, at, a, at a, a youth world cup or you know you know in a big stadium professional uh games and that atmosphere and you know those moments and those memories that that just live with me forever okay but what do you do well you sacrifice other things for that so you sacrifice free time and again the pay isn't great and and the stability and all that and so if you want to experience those things great but you know understand that there are going to be those sacrifices involved and as you mentioned as i got older when i had my you know when i got married and started my family well then some of those things that were offered to me and which i i, I remember one in particular i won't name it but it was like i was like oh five, even four or five years ago i would have at, a, at a, like a, in a heartbeat would have yeah. moved and done this and i had to say no so 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 that happens and so so you know i um one of the courses that i used to teach at the college level I, I really loved it it's an interesting course and maybe it'll come back at some point but or i'll get another opportunity to do something similar but it was it was called career launch and it was within the fitness and health promotion program it was the last year and the last semester for students right before they graduate so it's a it's a course literally trying to help them launch their career and give them ideas about how to make a resume and um you know, uh, job interviews and all that kind of stuff, and and I came up with this little uh, kind of you know four by four uh, axis. Maybe other people have come up with something similar, but anyway, this was my idea. Where essentially you had these four variables, and you and you ranked the importance of each of those four out of ten. But you know, we we put we imposed limitations uh, on uh, that, that you could only have initially only a maximum of twenty five you know points available mm-hmm. to you, and eventually only twenty. And those four variables on that axis were money, uh, stability, work-life balance or family life, and passion.
2: Mm.
1: And, uh, you know from my own example well I, I mean i passion to me was a like a 15 or you know <laughs> it was almost a 25 and everything else kind of you know got sacrificed and, right. and you know, that's an extreme example but 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 you know like like just to tell them that you know at some point when you're choosing a career in the fitness industry you know it's very likely that you're going to have you know those choices and you're going to have to sacrifice something yeah so You know, and and I know that even the fitness professionals that don't go and do what I did and focus on athletes, even the ones that want to do whatever it is, personal training, group training, exercise classes, consulting, testing, you know, often they're still prioritizing passion over some of the other other, variables and... A a story that I have on that one is like,
0: uh, when, when I was, uh, working downtown and I was like, you know, super busy in person only, like, oh, you know, as many sessions as possible. There was, um, there was a condo right beside the, right beside the gym. Right. And, uh, so a new, so a new client came in and and we started training together and trying to figure out her schedule, what time of day or, you know, how many times a week she's going to come or whatever it was. And she goes, oh, well, what time are you open from? And I said, oh, the gym's open from, uh, you know, 6am till about 9pm, um, night and Saturdays and, you know, whatever. And she goes, okay, they're like, that's fine. What, well, what, what time are, what time are you here? Like, what are, what are your hours? I want to train with you only what time are your hours? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. well, uh, you know, 6am to 9pm and all day Saturday and, you know, whatever. And she's like, she kind of paused and she looked at me and she goes, you definitely don't have a girlfriend, do you? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, Right. And I'm like, yeah, you're, I nine, just started yeah. laughing. I'm like, yeah. yeah, well,
0: when you work all of the available hours, like, yeah, I go home and rush myself to sleep. And then Saturdays, I'm just gas. And so like, she was right. But just to say, like, there's, there is a, you know, there's, there's work life balance, but sometimes yeah. it has to be unbalanced in a certain direction to get where you want to go. And so it's, it's not all sunshine, sunshine and rainbows. And I wouldn't, I don't regret what I did. I would do it again, yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the same, the same way that I did. And, and, and same as you, right. You wouldn't, you would. Pass up no, all those years yeah. of traveling and not and, and working with the people that you got to work with and making the connections that you got to make because it all it all got you here, but you got to do it I think the the message here is you got to do it with your eyes open and know what you're getting into because right. you can be yeah. chasing something that you really don't want and you may end up chasing it for far too long and not really getting right. ahead right
1: yeah right and 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 you know it's funny that um you know sometimes you know you mentioned girlfriend and i mean my my girlfriend who became my wife you know when she when we met and she kind of saw how my life was going and all that she was she was a good uh stabilizing force let's say and you know helping me to be to be a bit more pragmatic in the decisions of you know what work I decided to take on and what I didn't because the truth is and and this this is like again what I'm doing with you know again running the business and, and working trying to work at higher levels in the sport and all that like there's just you could really really quickly uh overextend yourself there's so many things that come up that are exciting and interesting and you want to do and 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 you just can't say yes to everything and 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 you know there's just no no way to do it but
0: yeah, anyway <laughs> no the thing that yeah. i think you know to, to take away for for people who are or, or maybe in the fitness industry and even just to tie this into kind of like general population fitness is is not to is to keep the keep the goal the goal and the goal is to help people or to train athletes and if you're taking on 17 different jobs or if you're trying to do like you know so many training sessions in a week or you're trying to do so many things you're not doing your goal of you know in in a business context of of helping people because you're not effectively helping people or two in your fitness context if you're trying to do too many different things that are not actually achieving the goal of improving your fitness well then you're just doing stuff and not getting any better so that's not that's not really helping you know just to kind of make this conversation full circle like training a lot is is great but your training has to be effective and an appropriate intensity and appropriate load and all that stuff so keep the goal the goal and chase that and then every you know fill in the the gaps where where you can
1: right yeah good advice
0: (laughs) (laughs) awesome richard is there anything else that you wanted to kind of let the people know about uh before we before we close off here
1: well, I guess uh I don't know if anybody would be interested in, in you know the the work that I'm doing, you know, I can yeah. uh, I can direct uh, you know we we've, we've got a, a simple website speedtraining.ca and we're on Instagram under the same uh under the same handle and and and, and Twitter as as well, actually on, on under the same handle and uh, you know we're our facility for your listeners who are, you know, in 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 Toronto and you know in, in in the uh you know the, the particular part of the city. We're we're in Vaughan, we're in Woodbridge and so uh the main intersection is is weston road and langstaff and it's a beautiful new facility we've got an open house plan i'm not sure when this will come out this episode but our open house is going to be on saturday october 28th it'll be and, before uh, i'm sure you and i will connect with you know maybe we'll promote it and yeah. be great even if if you're around you know come out
0: and, and yeah, have absolutely. a look
1: and yeah, yeah 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 so it's an exciting time and I'll awesome. see some people there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
0: of course. You no know, speed training. I'll, I'll put the I'll put your contact info, all contact info in the in the show notes here. And uh, again, for anyone who's in the uh, Toronto GTA Vaughan area, uh, Weston and Langstaff, which is a pretty easy to get to area, even if you're not from Woodbridge specifically, based on the highways and the roads and stuff like that. So, huh. so a great great location. And uh, you know, again, I'm just super happy for you that you've been able to make this uh, make this next step in your career and keep you know pushing the the, the athletics uh, forward and helping people to train better because it all. It All trickles down from there, right? I think uh, an obvious example in sport, and, and you know, I'll stop rambling in a second, is like a lot of advancements in, in automobiles happen in Formula One, which is like the pinnacle of, of, of automobile anything. And then it, right. you know, we get ABS brakes in our, you know, your your, your minivan, like, right. <laughs> like that, that's right. how it happens, yeah. right? There you go. And mm-hmm. so it's like, you know, we get these crazy advancements in, in the highest level of, of sport where, you know, minute differences do make a difference. And then that trickles down to regular people in regular life. And so, you know, we need people people like you pushing the, the the research forward and continuing to experiment and, and try new things and do what works and show why it works uh so that you know the rest of us can can benefit and apply to quote unquote regular life.
1: Right, yeah, yeah. Well, it's good great analogy actually. I'll have to remember that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good right. one.
0: All right, Richard, thank you very much. I uh, appreciate your time. Thank you very much everybody for listening. Speed training uh Richard Butarelli I'll put all the 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 links in the in the show notes but speed training uh, everywhere. Um that's that. Give me a follow as well on Instagram at Daniel Yoris. Uh, like, share, subscribe to the episode. All that good stuff really helps spread the good message, spread the message of training and, and health and, and longevity as well. Then see you next time.